I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. And there is a there's a delay going on here. It seems like I saw I heard myself before I saw myself on that one. Well, Are I, you hearing I, me? I heard, yeah, I hear you fine. I no delay either. Wow, weird. All right. Well, we are the CRM players. <laughs> and we are always CRM players with technical issues. <sighs> We're kind of getting used to it, but that's all right. Okay. As long as you guys uh, keep, uh, I don't know, doing what you guys do, whatever that is. Well, you watch no, us. I, so. Or quit. here's what I think. If we have technical issues, everyone out there should quit their jobs. <laughs> well, there's going to be a lot of people out of work if that's the case. All right. Anyway, yeah, we are the CRM players. We do have a really, I think, a really fun show ahead of us. Um, we have some guests and they're guests that have something in common. And we're going to tell you about that in a, in a couple of minutes when we bring them on. Hmm. But before we bring them on, we did uh, do an announcement. I think we announced right after this show the, the new date for the second executive roundtable that we're, that we're doing. The first of this mm -hmm. year, but it is the second one of all time. Well, for the players all time. And uh, let's see, I do have visuals. If I can only find the visuals, and and, and here we go. Well, I'll make sure I get this right. Yeah, we actually have a complete list of the attendees now. Yep. So here it is: a CRM players executive roundtable convo part two. This is the second That's one. A those are good pictures. You know what? I, I've I've got skills in putting this stuff together now. Yes, you do. <laughs> Damn. But the but the real skills are the guys and and the you know, the actual people on the panel. Um, I, I don't know. Your skills are pretty real. <laughs> <laughs> but we we had such a great um, first go around doing this, and quite honestly, we didn't know if it was going to work or not, but. We decided why not try to bring uh, it's almost like bringing the heads of the five families together. That's right. Well, <laughs> it works with my nickname. That's all I know. Well, that's true. Since you are the godfather. Mm -hmm. And so we we did our very first uh, roundtable with uh, senior level execs and, you know, quite honestly, buddies of ours uh, from yeah. Microsoft and Oracle and Adobe and SAP and Salesforce. And uh, it went so well. I mean, we, we were kind of blown away with how, not by by how well they, you know, they all were great, but just how well it was received by everybody. Uh, two and a half hours, 45 minutes, well, I guess it was an hour and 15 minutes of, of the big panel. And then we, we brought in some of the, our buddies from the analyst uh, world to kind of give their take of what they heard. And it was two and a half hours of greatness. So to the point where there were over 1,100 comments that were that came in during that two and a half hours, and there was no way in the world I could pop all that stuff up. It was it was just too much going on there. It was, yeah, it was actually amazing interaction going on. It was genuine interaction as opposed to lots of comments. I mean, people were like <laughs> talking to the, what the executives were talking about. They were kind of, you know, it's a fairly um, let's say a fairly senior audience so they've got a lot of experience in history and they very independent thinkers so a lot of people were sort of conveying their thoughts um their ideas 
right? Their capability, you know, their way of viewing what the uh, panelists were saying. And it was really dynamic. It really was. It was great. I love so, it. It was so good that we needed to do it again, and we wanted to bring on uh, some other voices and some other of the leading vendors to join us. And so, real quick, we'll go through these names real quick. Uh, here is, uh, in alphabetical order, uh, here's who's going to be joining us on February 25th at 1.30 p.m. East Coast time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to uh, the Godfather to give a little bit of commentary around each of our guests. So this is going in alphabetical order. Celia Fleischaker. Fleischaker. Yeah. She's the uh, chief marketing officer at Varent. She's old friend. I mean, she recently came as she was a CMO at pro. She is uh she's a whiz, man. She's an awesome CMO. The thing about her too, is she gets engagement. I mean, she truly gets it. And she's also very good at um, organizing marketing for it i guess that's one of the best ways to put it and now she's going to get some you know public visibility too about her ideas she just she's been at Varen for several months now she's already making a big splash there she's a and she's a truly really a wonderful person besides being great executive oh yes i i met her at pros and i i and you know very little uh interaction but the interaction i did have with her wanted me to interact more, which is why I'm really glad that she's joining us for that panel. And joining Celia, once again, in alphabetical order, Lou Orfanos, GM and VP of product for HubSpot. And I will be the first to tell you, I, we both known HubSpot since really its beginning. Mm -hmm. And I don't know Lou at all, although he yeah. was really gracious to <laughs> uh, on email as we invited uh, him to be a part of this. It seems like he has a pretty uh, fun and uh, interesting personality. I think he's going to fit in pretty good on this panel. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and I will second that I don't know him at all, right? And, <laughs> right, he, but to exactly the point, he's got a good smile. The guy is like uh, clearly kind of ready to ready to roll for this thing. And the other thing is HubSpot itself is, you know, I mean, they there's a company that from when we first knew them, which goes all the way back, in fact, you and I, I think, were the only two to ever actually do advisory days for them all the way back when. Um, they have changed dramatically in terms of their even their mission. And so it would be really interesting at some point in this to see how those changes have impacted how they think from the standpoint of you know, the world at large because it's really been a dramatic evolution. It's been not a revolution. It hasn't been a revolutionary. It's been an evolutionary one, but it's been substantial. Yeah. Now they were not calling themselves a CRM company when they very when they first no. started. Now inside, they are inside marketing. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see you know kind of get his perspective as part of this overall panel. So we're looking forward to Lou joining us. We're also looking forward to we go from well, somebody we didn't really know that well to somebody we we know pretty well. Oh yeah. Well, the reason that Pega won the BYOB 2020 is because this guy got them in there. He no, wait a minute, in. wait a minute. The reason that there was one of the uh, reasons that there right. even was a BYOB, right? That's right. That man stood up and played a Rolling <laughs> Stones riff right in the middle of a Serum Plays episode. And here we are today. And not only is he a really good play guitar player, 
and band member, but he is the CTO of Pega and thus leading the kind of the vision for the um, technology in the company. And if you can't get any better than that, he manages to have been prior to Pega at one point in his life, an improv comic, right? So, and, and yeah. you know what? It shows, it actually shows. He is hilariously funny besides everything else. So he's, he's a superstar CTO. He, again, he's a visionary CTO, which is a really interesting combination. And to be perfectly honest, not that often seen. Um, and at the same time, just a great person, just funny, smart, outgoing, uh, definite extrovert, and a hell of a guitar player. I mean, it's you don't usually see a CTO who's a comedian and a musician and, uh, you know, a visionary. No. In fact, he's no. literally the only one in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so we are glad to have our buddy with us. We're also glad to have Nick Zitzen. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. It was perfect. Because you don't usually see a, a name with like the TZ combination twice. Once, let, yeah, but twice, in, really? Literally, uh, if you live in Greece, you probably see it. But um, <laughs> but you probably see it in Greek, which means you don't see it in that kind of character set. There it is, right? So Nick, Nick is amazing. Now I've gotten to know him well more recently than prior, but. I knew of him a lot at SAP, and I met him thanks to Josh Greenbaum, one of our buddies who's been on the show a few times. Um, and uh, Nick, I used to call Nick the secret head of marketing at SAP because <laughs> everybody in marketing, including CMO, reported up to him. And the thing with Nick is he is he's one of these guys with this very sharp, mind the kind of mind where you're not only are inquisitive but you put things together quickly and understand the value of it like quickly you know like very fast and now you know he came over a little after bill mcdermott went to service now and uh, he was then he was uh, promoted to chief strategy officer and i've gotten to know him really well and i absolutely love my interactions with this guy every one of them just aside from being productive and fruitful and interesting um he's they're just fun, really. You, you know, know what? I've, I've we had him on the show uh, at last year. Or, That's uh, right. I forget exactly when, but I remember him being on the show, and I remember he had a really good sense of humor. And he also has probably the best uh, comment that was left on the announcement of this uh, particular roundtable. He asked uh, if we will be shipping the bourbon to the panelists ahead of the actual event. Well, I told well, him that you, he needs to actually uh, look towards you. So the answer is maybe, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, well, here's the thing. So I now know Don likes Blanton's. That's specific. I can deal with a specific bourbon. I don't know what Nick likes. I don't know if Celia or Lou with Lou or, um, I mean, I, let's put it this way. I don't know what any, first of all, I don't know if anyone else likes bourbon. I don't even know if some of them are not drinkers, right? So, Here's my thing. It's my first challenge to the five of them. If you are willing to give me, and all five of you have to do it, your preferred bourbon, unless and if you say Pappy Van Winkle, you're ruled out immediately because I'm not <laughs> buying that for you, right? Because I'm not spending $3,000 for that, right? If you can give me, all five of you give me your preferred bourbons and they don't bankrupt me, I will send you each a bottle. 
That's a commitment. Wow. But all five of you have to give me it, not four, not three. If you're not a drinker, say you're not and give me a preferred other drink, alcoholic or not. So that has to be so one way or the other. A potable libation has to be in there, a quaffable liquid, a, a potable quaffable. libation, a drink that you can swallow without choking. Right. So uh, you send me those, all five, and you, you got them. You heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. All right. So that leaves just one uh, other panelist, and that is Vijay wow. Sundaram, Chief Strategy Officer from Zoho. All right. He's our man. Man, this guy is a, what you see in that picture is pretty much what you know he is. That's what he is like, that that big, friendly face, right? He's a tremendously friendly guy. He's really, really, look, clearly Zoho's got a, has had very good strategy and has done really well with it. So, And this is the driver of it. He's been, I think he's been there from the beginning or near, not not quite. No, no, he came a little later, I think. He's but, in the 20-year in the club, though. Right. He is in the, the almost there for the entirety of the time, exactly, which is, I think, the 25 this year, the 25. So he's been in the plus 20 club. He's been helping drive, well, not helping, he's been driving Zoho's strategy for that time, and they've been wildly successful, so he knows his job really well. But he's also just a, and both you and I know this, man, he's just a pleasure to talk to and work with and, you know, just sit down and chat with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not often that uh, we do something um, that really goes against our you, core beliefs. But, uh, you know, we actually had this moment with Vijay. Yes. I want you to think about this for a minute. <laughs> I literally want you to think about this for a minute. I, it's like, I will tell you this. If there's one thing I can't stand, and I think <laughs> I can speak for Brent here, is cowboy hats. So, yeah. yeah. And that picture is not Photoshopped. No, uh, it's it's really the a rarity that will never be replicated. Uh, that will never happen again. And quite honestly, even the 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 hats that they gave us, my hat is way too big, and yours is way too small. You probably should have switched hats. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but look, but Jay's hat is just sitting so perfectly. I know. And we're looking Actually, like I don't know, like uh, the Apple Dumpling Gang or something. You know, it's possible. Now that I think of this, it is just very possible that we picked up each other's hat and they were right. <laughs> I, they gave me like a, a, a 15 gallon hat for, and I got like a an eight gallon head. So it's, yeah, it's just mine not is literally working. the opposite of that. <laughs> I look so like maybe, Ben Cartwright right before he retired from the from uh, the, the ranch. <laughs> Somebody gave me Hoss's hat. Yeah, that just wasn't yeah. working. So. <laughs> So all that to say, we're really looking forward to uh, Vijay joining us. And we're really looking forward to everybody. Once again, this is one of those, we just want to have a conversation about what's going on, the state of things. We're, we'll be a year into the pandemic. Oh, you know, we're going to hear from these folks because these folks come from companies. They're, they're senior level execs, but they're also coming from companies that are definitely players, big time players in the industry. So we just want to bring uh, those folks together and just rap, have a conversation. Not we're not trying to do any who done it and why they did. We're just having a group industry conversation with folks who are who are central to what's going on at their companies. 
And to that end, we will also be announcing probably next week, I would imagine, um, who the, um, we're going to do what we did the first time, which is the rolling analyst panels. And we have our, a list of analysts, but we haven't reached them all yet. So we will give you who those analysts will be. And as we've done in the past, I think we, we've set it up again for 333, right? After Nicole and Ginger and the two of us, right? Then 333. So yep. there'll be nine analysts who will be coming on to talk about what they heard these guys talking about. And again, not to sit there and trash them, to discuss the concepts, the idea, and <laughs> and um, the uh, the and where where they think the industries and markets are going. Uh, by the way, Thomas, yes, that was uh, in Austin. That that was two that was two years ago. No, that was last. Was that last year? I can't remember. Because we no. did, we did, they did have a Zoho day. No, you know what? I think that was at Zoholics. Yeah. It was, it was, wait a minute. Zoholics the year before. Yeah. It was when they talked about Zoho University for the first time. Yeah. That was, that was Zoholics. And remember, they had the analyst track and the, the regular folks track. And yeah. I think that's where, where we got that. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, that's, yeah, exactly. That's the takeaway. Yeah. And okay, yes, yeah. Yeah, it was it was from hell for sure. <laughs> anyway, so uh, keep your eyes out. That will be February twenty fifth for the panel. All right. Anything else before we uh, we bring on the evangelists? I actually had something, but we're kind of running a little over, so I'll leave it for now. Is my rant about Clubhouse? Maybe Clubhouse will come up, uh, you know, somewhere in here. Then I'll Maybe. take over from the evangelists. No, we'll bring them in. Maybe they no, will that's bring what I'm in. Saying. That's what I'm oh, saying. I already looked, and I will just take over from them because I'm. <laughs> I already ring. see one of the evangelists giving me the thumbs up when we're talking about Clubhouse. I'll, I'll let you guess who that is. I know who it is already. <laughs> All right. All right. So I have a little setup because we're we're talking evangelism here, folks. We're getting religion, folks. That's we're gonna right. bring on. <laughs> Dig deep, dig deep into your pockets. Right. All right. So when I, you know, when you hear the term evangelism, matter of fact, we ought to start with this, this tweet that came out. Um, if I can only find the, uh, the there it is. Okay. So this, this was just sheer coincidence. I think that this tweet came out uh, <laughs> talking about, how the, the term evangelism has taken over from futurists as a buzzy new title for industry folks. I don't know about all that. Quite honestly, I don't even think it's all that new. I mean, but it's not. It's but what I love Ian's response to this. As a former evangelist, does that mean he's a reformed? <laughs> anyway, uh, former evangelist for a large software company, I can disclose that there are eight arcane rituals involving infernal forces that must be performed. Only then will be you will be worthy of being dubbed an evangelist, or you get a boss who lets you pick whatever title you want. Well, you know, I just thought I'd pick you know what though. I gotta say, Brendan Witcher. Even though he misspelled evangelist, he's right. Witcher the Evangelist really does have a nice ring. <laughs> <laughs> he's absolutely right. Witcher the Evangelist. That's like a great. That is kind of cool when you think about you it. You really need to think about being an evangelist, Brendan. 
even if it's self-appointed, because you're <laughs> all right. The evangelist works. Now, before we bring on the the evangelist, there, we, there are certain things you think about when you think of evangelists. Here's an example of uh, one of these things you might think of when you think of an evangelist. Right now, and you're needing God to work the miracle for you. God will not only hear, but God will answer my right now. If you're tired of the devil stealing, if you're tired of the devil killing, if you're tired of the devil destroying your life, you must order the personal pack package, and you got to order it right now. I think you need to have some good lungs, right? If you're going to be an evangelist, and and you know, put that accentuate, you know, that that punchline, the last thing you say you got to put that that was good now here's another uh take uh on evangelism and you know kind of i would call this kind of the mad evangelist kind of thing Uh, that maybe i'm a little a little too excited for you maybe i don't preach exactly the way you like me to preach maybe i don't have my suit and my tie on tonight you know there's mornings that you you may wake up and you may feel lonely and you may turn to the phone and phone your mother up or your girlfriend or your boyfriend say, you know, start a conversation with them. Why don't you start a conversation with Jesus Christ when you wake up in the morning? Why don't you build a relationship with Christ? I mean, nothing else in this world matters. It don't matter how much money you got in the bank. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters in this life unless your soul is saved and you're going to heaven. That's the only thing that matters today. That, that actually Nothing matters. Else, it don't next matter night. how big or how <laughs> hot shot you think you are for the executive for IBM. I can I mean, see give Chris Farley going crazy here. If you don't surrender <laughs> your will to him, there's no way you're going to make it in. Oh, I mean, no. why do you have to bring IBM to it? I, I don't know, but I, you know, that's, that's kind of <laughs> kind of mad about that. Now, here's the last here. one, and this is one where I think really. I want to ask these guys about is when you use evangelism to ask for a multi-million dollar plane. And also reaches out, that also reaches out worldwide. More than 750,000 people watch his sermons online and follow his ministry's Facebook page. Got in the plane that God so graciously gave us. We're flying home. As I was going home, the Lord real quickly, he said, Jesse, do you like your plane? Now, you know, I thought that's an odd statement. He gave, I said, yeah, well, right. certainly, Lord. He said, do you really like it? And I thought, well, that's yes, Lord. Either. He said, then he said this, so that's it? I didn't know how to handle that. man I went, what? He said, you're going to let your faith stagnate? And when he said that, that shocked me. I went, whoa, wait. I literally unbuckled my seatbelt, my plane. I stood up. My pilots looked right and said, do you need something? I said, no, no, I'm talking to God right now. And he went back to flying. You couldn't have done that on an airliner. No, sir. No way. Stand up and say, what'd you say, Lord? No. Okay, no, yeah. And the guy sitting over there saying, what the hell does he think he's doing? (laughs) You can't do that. You can't do that. No, no. All right. So, yeah. So this is why I I thought we needed to have a little backgrounder uh, to bring on the evangelists in the CRM vendor space. And so with all that said, (laughs) they got a lot to answer for. (laughs) Esteban Kolsky. They got so much to answer for. Bala Offshore, thank you. You guys are thank in you trouble. Thank you so much. Nick, 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 oh, my Before trouble. we start, before we start, next time you do this, 
Go to go to a Steve Martin leap of faith to talk about an evangelist. Not those morals that he's just put. The guy, the guy was on the left on the last video. It's the one that used to blow COVID away. Because COVID, I forbid you. <laughs> Come on. Hey guys, we just wanted to, you know, make the atmosphere more to your liking. <laughs> yeah, good luck on that one. We we and we royally failed. We completely failed at doing that. By the way. Uh, no, I, I was just going to ask how how long do you have to be an evangelist before you start asking people to give you money to buy your own plane? That's like I have I have brought it up. Well, actually. <laughs> For the All right, we're just having a little fun. You're muted. In the middle seat, way in the back of a plane when I used to travel, <laughs> so I don't have that playbook yet. All right, guys. No, we we're just having a little fun. Couple of years. That was that was. I can't, I'm trying to recover from that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, you know, all well, not all jokes, but some jokes aside. Okay. Very uh, do you do you get some of that uh, that first that tweet the when people hear you being an evangelist for a vendor uh, what what kind of how do they approach you how did how do you come how did because I'm, I'm I'm being kind of serious here when yeah. when I hear the term evangelist that's the kind of connotation I get I don't I don't get the you know Tell me when when you are announced as an evangelist for a software vendor company, what the first reaction or first impression that uh, people have with you guys? And oh, I'm wow. being very serious. This year. I have to say for a second, I, when you said what the first, I didn't think you were going to say first. Oh, yeah. some people some people do say that what you were thinking, Paul. But for me, I've had the title as part of my titles is plural uh, since 2013. And back then you got a little side eye kind of what you know and early on i think when the when the concept was was coming in and that's kind of why i have two titles because i can kind of read the room and if they don't want the salesy evangelist going you know i go i go with my head of corporate strategy title because then especially with customers right and and uh prospects they're usually like Okay, well, this guy's probably going to tell me more about like what the product is doing, what's going on. We're going to get down into some brass tacks when it's the strategy one, but when it's the the evangelist one, that's usually if I'm at like an event or we're just really high level doing a QBR, that kind of stuff with with a customer. And really, kind of depends on on whether we're talking about kind of art of the possible. Where do you want to go? Where's your CX vision versus Okay, well, you bought the product. Now, how are we going to make it work better for you, right? <laughs> it's like so I kind of, I kind of use both of my titles. So it's, it's. But early on, I got much more of a side eye glance of, you know, and the joke of evangelism, blah blah blah, you know, uh, before. Um, but now people just kind of, you know, don't think of it as much because I think, it, it, to Mister Witcher's point, it's become more prominent and common. Right. It, it goes down to. I mean, if you if you're really going to go down to where the term originated. Right. We used to have technical evangelists. There are the people that are learned the new technologies, especially in the open source community, and then they go and share and evangelize the new technology that is going to change the whole world and all that stuff. We did not have a, a, a similar solution for or a similar position for business. So when you look at a CX evangelist, you're looking at somebody who understands CX, who who does this job, where they 
basically it's an internal analyst for a company. If I go back 20 years when I first joined Gartner or what I'm doing now, it's exactly the same. So people, people look at you like you're supposed to be promoting a product. I have never, I mean, look, if I'm talking about a product, I'm in the wrong place because I don't know the products and I don't need to know the products. I need to know about CX and business. It, it's that simple. I mean, I have people that can talk about product all day long. I have sales people that will be glad to sell you stuff. That's not what I do. I'm here to talk about like, you know, business and evangelize the business outcomes that you can get through the technology, not the products themselves. Are our products awesome? Yes, the products are awesome, but that's not what I'm here. I wish I always like, didn't also run product marketing for one of our entire product lines, because then I could maybe pull that excuse, uh, Esteban, but it's not going to work for me. <laughs> I don't, I don't no, even know the you product. You guys need to hire more people there, apparently. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% there. <laughs> so, Vala, how's Salesforce look at it? How do you look at it? For, well, how do you look at it, given your role at Salesforce? Because you have a very big public presence, too. Yeah. I, you know, when I think of the word evangelist in the technology space, uh, the first name that comes to mind for me is Guy Kawasaki. Um, I think he was the first uh, individual um, when he was working for Jobs, bringing Apple II to market, where publicly labeled as an evangelist. Um, and uh, so I, I take no credit for the title. The title was given to me by Alex Dion five years ago. Alex was president of products at Salesforce. Uh, and it was Alex who suggested the title. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I tend to lean definitely towards um, Esteban's view in terms of uh, I've had people that have followed me for years, didn't know I worked at Salesforce. So I rarely, if ever, speak to products. Um, but uh, as a 12 year customer of Salesforce, my company became a customer in 2003. And in 04, we launched Service Cloud, Sales Cloud. So really early on, uh, and I've been with the company five years. So 17 years I've been with the company, but 12 as a customer. My point of view in terms of storytelling is based on um, a practitioner's point of view. I ran engineering when I was tasked to bring Salesforce into our company and then services support. And then my last assignment was CMO. Uh, so a lot of the writing and the content for podcasts or anything that I produce really speaks to um, market trends, line of business, roles and responsibility of uh, CIO, CDO, CMOs, because I served in that capacity. Um, so it's, 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 and as I have 54,000 colleagues that speak to products and our solution set. Now that doesn't mean, you know, obviously Esteban's joking, he knows the product well. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that, you know, uh, we're not configuring the product and, and can use the product. It's just, I, th I think, to educate and inspire and cut through the noise that exists today, uh, you really have to um, speak to outcomes. You need to speak to the why, not the what and the how. The product is the what and the how. The why, I think, is what you need to overcome where your story resonates. How do you deal with that? I mean, how do you actually like produce things for that? You know, so I received... Uh, I, the entire, uh, my entire company received uh, an email from uh, our head of legal in first week of March that said no more travel. Um, and so, and I was on the road probably 40, 50% of the time uh, engaging with customers, partners, conferences, events. So that faucet was turned off. So I immediately uh, made a determination that 2020 was going to be the year of content. Um, 
And so from March to present day, uh, that translated to, you know, 122 ZDNet articles and other 20, 30 articles in another publication. So I'm writing three, four articles a week. You know, Ray and I, Ray Wong and I did 50 plus uh, podcasts religiously weekly. Um, and then and then probably even more number in terms of keynotes and um, what we call SICs, which is intimate workshops with customers. So, so I can, it's it's so that's the source of um, the, the articles, the show, and then the almost uh, daily. Uh, I, I, you know, I just I just left a customer call before this session um, gives me plenty of opportunity to identify good stories and good people uh, and good outcomes. So what you're saying is you and, don't and, need to have a plan. Sorry. Uh, in order to do your evangelism, you just have to have something no, to no, say. No, 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 no. Need to have a plane. <laughs> you need to have a plane so you can actually go somewhere to have something to say. It's not, you know, like you can sit at home and like, oh, shit, wait, wait, wait. No, that was before COVID. <laughs> so, okay, so Esteban, like, what's a day to day in your in your case too? Because you're, I mean, I know it's newly well, minted. It's a newly minted role at SAP. Period. Right. So I would say right now at SAP, one third of my job is educating the people of uh, what it is to be an evangelist and, and how to engage me. Right. I'm sure that uh, Bala had this in front of the beginning where he was brought in by salespeople or account executives and we're like, okay, we're trying to close this deal. It would really, really help if he can say commerce is the best thing ever. Right. But that's, that's not, that's not how it's going to happen because I could say whatever, but if I don't have the data or I don't have the, the story to tell behind it, it really doesn't go anywhere. So once I get past that education, it's mostly research and, and, and finding information, talking to customers, talking to you guys, talking to consultants, talking to everybody. Like I said, it's the same job that I did as an analyst. You just aggregate information and then put together stories. Uh, you know, I, I read infinite number of uh, you know pdfs in the last three weeks trying to find good data points that would be like you know uh, uh, conversation openers right the, i i see the role of evangelism as somebody who has conversations we open conversations i mean this is all this is all we do so you need to have a good conversation opener uh, 86 percent people will change their the, uh, providers because of a bad experience that's a bad opener because it's crap but you know 70% of companies actually evolved their, their digital evolution in the last year by, by at least three months and at most three years. That's a good opener. So it's just finding and updating information that you're going to take to open the conversations. And then it's what Bala said. I mean, after that, it's like, where are you and what do you need? Do, do we need to like, you know, align the executive team with a workshop behind a common purpose? Do we need to like you know do a little discussion, like run table around this? Can we bring 10, 15 customers and have a discussion about you know what it what it's like to 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 survive COVID as a company in the industry airlines in the airline industry? I mean, it just it really varies. Martin, how's it how's it work yeah, with you in terms of that? For me, I mean, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of what. Yeah, that's a lot of what Esteban's kind of talking about. But what I think is really important for me is, you know, we have this evangelism term, which kind of seems very outbound, but the listening uh, to the customers is really important. Even before um, COVID, when I was traveling and going out there and meeting with a lot of customers, what was really important uh, was taking that time to listen. And we had a, we had a really, um, 
you know, really fascinating couple of engagements where, you know, we went in with, with some kind of like, okay, these guys are having some trouble. They're doing this kind of stuff and just listening and being that person in the room who wasn't a salesperson, who wasn't the, the, the product guy uh, and who wasn't maybe the, the deployment partner uh, from the IT or, you know, from the, from the SI side and just listening. So well, what are you trying to do? Uh, not what are you trying to do with, with sugar, for example, or, or what's your, you know, what's this process or that, you know, and not, and, you know, trying to bring it up a bit and saying, you know, what, what are your problems? What are your goals? And, and then being able to kind of retrack, uh, sometimes come back out, realizing that possibly the partner wasn't the right partner, uh, for different reasons, or possibly the product that they were using and the combination of products that they were using weren't the right ones, putting sugar in, taking sugar out sometimes in some facets. And really just listening. Uh, and that was really fascinating. Being able to do that even easier now, because I can do it at much more scale. That's a big one. But, you know, like I said, the interesting part about what I do is still running so much of, of product marketing and doing all that kind of stuff. I get to, to have all these interactions and then bring back a lot of feedback. So again, listening and then putting that back into our, our release cadence and what we're doing uh, has been has been a lot of fun. Because I can come out there and, you know, where you've got engineers who are just basically sitting at computers typing code, you know, giving them the reason why uh, this should be prioritized over that one. So really cool stuff there. But then it's been really busy over the last couple of years with the company because we've rebranded. We've made this wholesale move to, to a, a cloud-first portfolio. We're rolling out these AI products that are really real stuff firmly embedded in the product, not something you have to go out and buy and hope it works and do a big deployment. It just works on day one. So, so there's been a lot of the, the kind of behind the scenes work with that. Haven't been, um, you know, it's almost a blessing and a curse. You know, I, I would have been annoyed if I was doing all this internal work over the last year, not being able to spend his time out there at events, doing all this stuff, and this work needed to get done. So it was almost lucky that COVID happened so I could take the time with the team to go in there and, and really, um, Respin some messaging, respin some of the high-level uh, kind of positioning and, and versions, but also just really get some amazing products out there. You know, we're now you know embedding you know seamless omni-channel AI, cool stuff. Not to, not to be producty stuff, but but things are really exciting to me and things that I can spin stories around that you know I would have had to I would have been bogged down in that and not being able to be at, a, at an event or something like that. Now I can't be at the event, but I can log in and go do something virtual that takes me. 90 minutes instead of three days. Mm -hmm. So it's been really, uh, it's been really a kind of a weird productivity boost for me to be able to play both those internal and external mm -hmm. roles almost better than ever before over the last year. So it's been a lot of fun. I wanted to yeah, pop up I, this actually, question from, oh, go ahead. That was, I'll wait. That was gonna be my segue. I mean, Martin brings up the question of how we engage internally because that's, I mean, the external engagement, uh, you know, it's, it's one part of it, but Truly, honestly, the bigger value to to our employers is bringing back everything that we find and and, and disseminating internal, right? I mean, and yep. I, I know I talked about this with with Bala before. How sometimes it's really hard to find the right people to give the right information and everything. But uh, you know, it, it, it's you have to have a, a, a internal vision of how you actually going to coordinate and create a coherent message across the company, right? Your yep. your role is to bring back what's outside, but also make sure that everybody within the company speaks the same language and tells the same stories. Uh, I mean, yep. we all work for complex companies with lots of products and it would not be unheard of to have three different things being said by three different people about the same solution, the same product. So the, the, internal, the internal effort is more coordination and coherence that, yeah. than it is like evangelism. I'm not gonna create yeah. a report and research and disseminate internally because everybody can read the same way that I read, right? 
but I'm going to create, so I'm going to add on value from what customer said. I'm going to add value by like what other company, other departments and other product class are doing and then aggregate all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I do that in these kind of in weekly and monthly and quarterly kind of framing uh, exercises with the entire company, not just, not just products and, and not just sales, but, but I do these knowledge transfers where I'm actually explaining, you know, well, here's what we've been doing and here's why. And we align it to our, our themes and our messaging and our differentiators because I built in a lot of strategy sessions two years ago and we put together, not just I, the team did, uh, a lot of these, what we call our hills to die on, right? And and they really came from what the customers and our prospects and the people that we weren't necessarily winning from were telling us and keeping that going and keeping that thread alive so that people are thinking as as at least cohesively as, as, as we can do it, right? I mean, it, you're going to get entropy in some of that. Uh, and, and and a company the size of SAP, I can't even imagine, Esteban. But, but for us, it's a little easier, I think, to kind of keep, because I just have four points and I try to bring everything back to those things because I think they're really important. And and I do that, you know, weekly, um, monthly, quarterly, and and we try to do that as much as we can across the board. And, and it's, you know, I hope it's helpful, but I, I think that um, as our product set and all that starts to, you know, materialize around this, I think it becomes easier for sales to internalize it and then bring it out there and to be kind of micro evangelists themselves based on the things, you know, the little, the little pills that I can give them. That's an important uh, um, comment, My, micro evangelist. Every employee should be able to articulate, um, you know, the value proposition and earn the trust of uh, a stakeholder, whether it's an employee, customer, partner, community. Yep. Uh, the listening part is super important because in order to maintain uh, uh, intellectual curiosity, um, really, uh, a good avenge, a good storyteller um, uh, is 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 always curious, always start uh, trying to stay teachable, um, because um, it, it's hard to walk into a customer engagement with a fixed mindset or a fixed playbook. Um, a lot of times, when I'm engaged with sales colleagues, it ends up becoming a coaching session, both for me and them. Um, I want to learn from them. At the same time, I want to uh, share with them my approach to engaging a customer and uh, the listening part, which Martin said, because I don't know, you know, no, no amount of debrief, an hour debrief, a quip doc, whatever is going to give me the contextual intelligence I need to quickly understand the priority of a customer. So when they're talking about business transformation, is it? process that they're looking to modernize legacy? Are they thinking about transforming relationships? Is it how they capture insights to improve decision velocity? Is it new business model innovation? Is it how they want to enhance their product and service to do things uh, in order to remove friction and, and make a, a better customer experience? And I just, nine out of 10 times or nine out of 100, I don't have answers for these questions. So a lot of times I don't walk in with a PowerPoint. I don't have a pre-existing deck. I don't you know, it's you have to develop the muscles to be able to listen, identify keywords, be able to understand their mission values, um, and then your narrative really dynamically is formed throughout the engagement. So if you're not uh, actively listening, and if you're just waiting for a moment uh, of silence so you can interrupt, you're not listening. So yeah. you know, it's more than Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hours of practice. Uh, I still, I still have not perfected that art. Uh, but it is super important, curiosity, um, empathy, and then um, 
you know, just uh, and flexibility. You, you, you mm -hmm. just, you know, uh, what you believe is uh, uh, a, a, a value may may not uh, may not be the case depending on the sector, the persona, the line of business, you know, uh, and and the sense of urgency and and uh, success factors that these customers are thinking about at that moment. Yeah, that's interesting because I was kind of kind of looking for a. Okay. I was thinking <laughs> of promoting our product on that success factor, but. <laughs> but it's kind of like language translation. Sorry, right? in, 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 yeah, but I was saying it's language translation, but it's not going from a different. You know, it's English to English mostly in my case. But it's, but it's honestly, you know, listening and understanding because so many times I've seen people from you know especially when we're doing like multiple kind of vendors who are kind of already been selected and you're trying to go in there and talk about the rollout and things and they're they're using kind of their language first and enforcing and going these and people kind of look like i don't know what you mean by this but if you listen and you can translate your benefits and and what you think you can do and 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 what you you know can't do um based on what are their priorities and what's important to them and in the way right. that they articulate and express it it's really it's really important because when you when you continue to kind of like push down your your messaging in your words and in your language and only that as if you're just rehearsed like you said like if you rehearse the script and you're waiting for your moment to speak it never goes over well and it's and it's really important to be reactive uh, and listen and be curious like you said uh, Vala was just great great way to think about it because it's one of the things I think that makes what I do why I'm successful is that translation aspect of it where I'm not just waiting to push you know our policies and our terminology and, yeah. and our products it's really just kind of reacting to what they're saying and saying okay here's here's how I think here's how I would solve it and sometimes it's you know, yeah. it doesn't even involve a product of ours. It's, well, you know, and right. just saying, here's how I would look at it. And, and, and am I right? Am I wrong? Am I talking the right things? Right. You know. And, and, and the last, and the last thing I say is humility. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> the last thing I would say is humility. Like uh, different. Don't <laughs> I'm speaking, damn it. Sorry, go. <laughs> okay, my point better pause. than yours. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the, the, the last the last thing to, to what Martin was saying and, and to, to, to follow what Paolo said is like the, 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 the most important part is to understand that, you know, the people that work in product, the people that work in sales, the people that work in product marketing, they have a goal and an objective that is different than, than mine. My objective is to create a good conversation, to create a good framework in which to make a decision by the customer. That's my only objective. So I can actually do what, what Martin and, and Vala said and listen with an open mind instead of like, oh, this one I'm going to say, like, you know, my feature solves that product. Instead, I'm going like, okay, I'm trying to understand, you know, everything that you're saying. Uh, I'm trying to understand at the, at the level that I'm talking to, whether it's a, an executive level, you know, or, or a lower level, different level of conversations, and then provide value to that by adding data points, by adding, like, you know, stories to, to, to that, and then have them walk away with a better framework in which to make the decision. That's my goal. So I, I you know, the decision's going to be my product, great. It's not going to be my product, oh well, but at least they got, you know, they, they, the ability to do a better decision. Sorry, Vala. I, I, no, I for, wanted to ask, oh. No, the, the last thing I would say for aspiring evangelist listening, uh, measure your success by uh, repeat conversations. Are you, are you invited again <laughs> to the table with the client? So that's one measure, uh, you know, how many times you have one conversations and never see the clients again. Uh, if that's the case, you need to adjust your methodology because success is, um, you know, a godfather of CRM once said, customer engagement is the ongoing interaction between the company 
and the customer offered by the company, chosen by the customer, uh, just replace company with evangelist. Uh, if they choose to come back to you ongoing, you've got a healthy engagement. But if it's a one-off, you don't. So that's one. The other is how much of a connector you become over time. Are you connecting the person that you're advising to other members of your organization? The more successful you are as a trusted advisor, the more connections you're going to make because you don't have all the answers. So uh, humility is important. When somebody asks yeah. me as the chief evangelist, if I have an answer to something and I have no clue how to advise them, I say, I have absolutely no idea uh, how to provide you feedback, but I do know an expert in this area. Let's make a connection. And it's really rewarding when you take advantage of the network effect and create, it a, create an ecosystem of trusted advisors because that's when you sustain momentum. And the minute you pretend you know something and you give false guidance, you've lost all that hard, hard work of establishing trust. So when you don't know something, just raise a hand and say, I don't know. So how, do, how are you measured internally in terms of, you know, every, every employee has to have their annual review and they get measured for certain things. How are you guys measured internally? Well, so I go first because my answer is shorter because I'm actually developing that model right now with the, with the boss man, right? I mean, I, I, it, this is a position that didn't exist before. There's only two other evangelists at SAP and they both have very different metrics and solutions. But I got to tell you that when we had the discussions, a, a lot of the metrics that want to be applied surround number of people you talk to, uh, accounts that you help, uh, you know, the, the things like you may have written and distributed, how much you have, you know, there tend to be more PR, PR and AR metrics that they're actually evangelism metrics. Um, what I propose, you know, uh, what I propose to, to, to actually try to, to, to find a way to make sure how to do that is like, you know, the, the impact that you have on the sales force. I mean, do they feel more empowered to have higher level conversations? Do they feel more empowered to go into you know, higher and deeper levels than before on a business model, not on a product model? We have, you know, can we position the company to have discussions that we couldn't before? And can we create the conversations that are essential to, for us? So I'm not exactly sure how to measure that, but that's that's the way I would love to measure that. It's like, what's the impact that I had that, that we didn't have before? You know, as an example, we spend a lot of time talking to CIOs because we're a very technical company. We do really well with CIOs. We need to move up the, the chain to talk to CMOs and CEOs. And we do that to a certain extent, but we could do better. And that's that's what my, my goal is going to be. It's going to be creating those conversations with the CMO, the CDO, the CEO that they couldn't exist before and then find a way to measure that. But I don't, like I said, I'm still putting the model together. So I have no idea if I'm going to be kept around for more than a year. <laughs> uh, we, anyway. have a, we have a process at Salesforce so, called V2 Mom. It's vision, values, methods, obstacles, measurements. Every employee has a V2 Mom. Um, part of the V2 Mom is methods. So um, I specifically, as an evangelist, in my methods include um, uh, references like uh, number of media uh, um, uh, appearances, uh, number of articles written about our company or the work or the research that I'm doing, number of uh, articles that produce, uh, you know, the, the digital footprint as a result of podcast and social media. Um, so it's a combination of external 
signals that speak to uh, potential engagement. Um, but fortunately, um, in the five years I've been with the company, um, every year there's, I've had the fortune of bringing um, net new customers into the business. Uh, some of them led to eight-digit deals uh, where the CEO of the company reached out to me directly. And we ended up you know, hosting and having a number of engagements and ended up becoming a large Salesforce customer. So I think the evolution of evangelism sh should include how you influence the market and your presence and your footprint. Um, but you also, um, I think as you mature, will start tracking your impact on the business itself. Um, and uh, I, 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 I think you need to have a good, healthy company because a lot of the work that we do is creative work. It's independent research. It's exactly what analysts do, connecting the dots and be forward looking. So you can't have a rigid uh, process uh, where you're, 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 you're operating towards a tactical set of initiatives on a, on a fixed schedule, because that ultimately will, um, will eliminate the autonomy you have to be creative. Uh, I get a lot of my um, you know, uh, 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 content that I use to shape my narrative from um, investments companies, venture capitalists, um, institutions that like ARK Invest recently looked at 15 big ideas to shape 2021. And a lot of their thesis around autonomous vehicles very much matches my viewpoint of an autonomous enterprise. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's not a traditional place that I would go to find data points that validate the technology and innovation cool. that my company is investing in. Uh, so you have to have that creativity. So the rigidity around metrics, I think, can stunt your, your ability to look forward. And I think a good storyteller, and I, 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 sorry, I just want to make this distinction about storyteller because the founder of my company doesn't tell stories. Stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Stories are about someone else. Uh, the company founder, uh, my company founder, is a master at narratives. Narratives are open-ended. Business transformation isn't a destination. It's an ongoing journey. We all know that. And it's inclusive. So when you listen to him, you feel like you're part of the journey. Um, and you start thinking about how you contribute to a narrative. So I think that's an important distinction. The, the best evangelists, the storytellers that I know are really shaping a narrative. You two, you know, Paul and Brent. Brent, for four years, you've been talking about, like, things like NLP and voice enabled smart devices, way ahead of people talking about the impact it'll have in our lives. And Paul, you and I 10 years ago were talking about social promoter score and reinventing NPS and how to measure CX and, uh, and, and CE in, in, in a more uh, precise way. And these were all narratives that frankly, some of them have yet to come to fruition. Uh, so forward-looking people are always years ahead and that's more of a narrative versus story. Sorry, I'm gonna stop now. <laughs> I, I need I need to I need to admit great. that I'm learning from Bala right now on how to properly kiss us uh, uh, all around really well. So evangelist with He's being likable is another right element. That's the class. I'm hoping I get an invite again. I got a totally different question for you guys, and it goes actually kind of goes to what Margot said when she said. Another word for evangelist is champion. Um, so, well, but I want to go to a specific version of that, okay? So one of the things we've, I mean, I have, I should say, over the years, both said people should do, but on the other hand, have seen people do is, you know, because you'd, you'd run across a lot of lower level in terms of their position in a company, forward-thinking people who had very good ideas, 
didn't really have the confidence to put it forward, uh, had looked for, wanted to find avenues to do so, didn't really know where to look, or even even more so, how to look, right? Um, And so they would come and say, well, how do we go about it, given we're championing this, but we're the only one, I'm pretty much the only one who is pushing it, how do I go about doing more with it? By by title alone, assuming that not everybody in the company knows exactly what you do, but just by title alone for a minute here, you are sort of a natural person to go to. I mean, just by name. And to Margot's point, the even if it's not exact, it's close. And close enough for someone looking for a champion to go to talk to you about possibly helping them with their idea. That doesn't mean their idea is going to work. It doesn't mean it's a good idea. It doesn't mean anything except that they have an idea that they think is valid. I'm sure that's happened with each of you in different circumstances. And plus, you know, frankly, you're each dealing with the politics of your own company, right? And those are politics. They're not anything else, right? And you have, you know, part of knowing how to do what you do is to navigate what's there. And so how do you deal with that kind of person who's relatively powerless in terms of her position in the company or his position? And actually, interestingly enough, um, the most effective individual I I met doing that many years ago was uh, this young woman. She was probably 21. And seven years after she did it, she was CEO of the company. And it was was actually... uh, yeah, it was amazing. Well, because she, 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 she was fearless, you know. And but not most of these people are not fearless. They, but they do have a good. They do have an idea. So how do you how do you go? Someone comes up like that to you, okay? Again, lower on the totem pole in terms of title, idea may or may not be good. They're asking you to champion the idea with them, not for them, but with them. Um, which means you're also hanging a little bit of your own hat with them. How do you approach it? How do you think about it? How do you evaluate yep. it? How do you, once you decide on the idea, good or bad, what do you tell them if it's bad? How do you handle it? It's, well, it's bad. So uh, you don't do it. <laughs> it's no, but, do you, it. but you're letting down, you're hurting somebody when you say, just no, you, you explain, you sit, you, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've been with my company a long time. And I'll give an example of, I'll give a good one and I'll give a bad one, right? Um, so somebody had some really good ideas and they weren't being heard uh, because, you know, it was at a time when we had a, a larger uh, organization inside marketing in general. And and I helped get them noticed and elevate them as best I could. Now that person's got a really great job at LinkedIn. They don't even work with us anymore. But but those are some of the things that help. And you just you just listen to it and you say, oh, that's a great, you know, this makes a lot of sense, right? And and it helped us. And the, the thing that they wanted to do wound up saving us like probably a couple million dollars a year in operations costs in terms of our, our SEO and ad spend and other things like that. And these aren't things that are directly related to even what I do, right? So I listened to what I thought was a good idea. Someone else who I knew had, had a, a not so great uh, ideas of things. And and you have to look at them and say, hey, I actually use the good person as an example and say, look how planned out this is. Look how much, you know, you understand, you know, the, the gospel and the metrics and all this kind of stuff that they put what we were using at the time. Said, so, look, this this makes sense. I'm going to say yes and help this person without a, without a doubt. And, the, and I said, well, if you can structure it this way and it makes, you know, if you can structure it this way and it makes sense, it probably makes sense. If you can't structure what you want to do in this because you can't find 
the reasoning, you can't find, it's probably not a great idea, right? Or it's not fully baked at least yet. So go back and think about it. And, you know, and that, that idea never really came to anything because it wasn't a full idea, right? You know, and, and these things happen, you know? And, yeah, but and I like I, to help the mentor internally as much as I can. I think you have, you have a bigger responsibility than point out the bad ideas. First of all, I don't think that's bad ideas. I think the ideas are not fully cooked, like you just said, Martin, right? And, and the thing is like part of the internal uh, responsibility that you have as an evangelist and somebody as a champion, as somebody who actually knows this, is the, the, the concept of mentoring those people. I mean, you, you need to have a company culture behind. SAP has, this is one of the things that surprised me the most when I first got here, the entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is, is an integral part of the company culture. You're allowed to go and build whatever you want and like design whatever you want and you will be given resources to try it because you never know what's going to be good or bad. But the, 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 the way that ever since I got here, I got people coming to me with ideas saying, hey, can you help me get this to the next level? And some of them weren't fully cooked and then the mentorship is what comes in. It's not they're like, oh, that's not going to work or whatever. It's like, okay, this is what I would do if I was you. You know, like I did when I was advising companies all the time, there's these three, four things that you need to have better defined. This is like, you know, messages, it needs to be more aligned this way. You need to define who you want to talk to. You need to know those things. And then you, you help those ideas go forward. Are they going to take off? 90% of them probably won't go that far. No, it's not a question of company culture. It's just that, you know, but the people learning the process is what you should be using as a metric from that. But the people that come to you, see you as a champion, as an evangelist, or as a mentor, and that they learn the process, that, you know, and you know that this coming from me is a really tough thing for me to say, okay? Yeah, you all know that. So, but the, the ability to actually help these people along is, 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 is because I think I, this is why I keep saying my, my job is, is, I continue to be an analyst like I've been for the last 20 years. I'm internal to SAP and, and I see different people in different roles and I try to like, you know, make that move forward. So, yep. right. uh, man, this is a bit of, oh, go ahead. Bob. Sorry, two points. Uh, I, I think it's important to make a distinction between mentor and sponsor. Um, I, th I think what Paul alluded to is, you know, um, in my career, in my experience, a sponsor is more important than a mentor, meaning, um, you know, she put her political social capital on the line to advance my cause. So it's a champion that helps you, you know, climb the proverbial ladder by giving you an opportunity to expose your ideas to, to a more influential audience. So that's one, I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly sponsor is more important than to, you know, for your career than a mentor. And a good sponsor ends up doing both, but uh, to be able to use your political social capital to advance your career or career path you is, is critical. Second thing is you need to be deliberate. I think senior leaders need to be deliberate about being mentors and sponsors. And I also think that they need to be deliberate about reverse mentoring, meaning that, uh, and this is that intellectual curiosity and humility, you know, being in front of a single contributor intern, who may be a grad school at a, at a, at a you know, at a university and college, who can really talk to you about, you know, modern digital channels and, you know, where the millennials or Gen Z are thinking, you know, I, I've learned a lot from people that were far lower on the ladder uh, but yet they opened my eyes and uh, helped me identify the blind spots I had uh, running a business. So, so I think I think those two things uh, are are great are points. Important. Great points. All right, uh, this has been I a great agree. conversation. Yeah, I did. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got a little latency issue with with, with you. <laughs> No, go ahead. <laughs> 
<laughs> good, good. That's well, I, I was going to say that, you know, Paul mentioned politics, right? And, and, and Vala mentioned political capital and all these things. And, and, and these are things that, that while may not be easy to realize, somebody in this position has a lot more political power than, 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 is, see, than is seen and realized from other, other positions, right? I mean, it, it doesn't matter who you report to, where you fit in the organization. It's just that you need to see things in a broader perspective that gives you the political capital. So, the, the, you know, again, I, I, I spent 20 years working on my own, uh, coming to SAP a year ago. This has been the hardest lesson to learn by miles and miles and miles. <laughs> You know, it, it's it's realizing political capital and like you know, the power and all that stuff. And I try not to like leverage that. This is why I mentioned mentoring versus sponsorship. I, I don't believe I have the power to sponsor somebody yet. I may in a couple of years once I learn the ins and outs and things differently. But the, the, the position that I'm in allows me to be in a place where like political power is much much bigger than it would be for for what is apparent to the position. And that's something you have to realize. And be comfortable with. Good point. Uh, I, why don't we just wrap it up there? Because that—that's uh, you guys said a lot just in that question alone. But throughout this whole thing has been great. I was just going to ask though: Does that mean that there no none of you are going to go for the airplane in the future? Or? <laughs> I, I was thinking a car. Actually, you could start there. Tesla. Start maybe. with a car. <laughs> well, uh, I, with that saying, I'm going to leave out the two cars you should ignore. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm a car guy, so we should go offline. I'd love to get the car <laughs> advice. <laughs> Look, not a car guy. Yeah. You know, I want to not have a Kia. They'll tell you the two. He had Apple Tesla. <laughs> Apple Kia. I, I, you know, I'll take the plane if I'll take a plane if it's offered by the Lord. I will never pass anything offered by the Lord. You know what? <laughs> Just give me a good bottle of bourbon, personally. I'm That's right. That. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, by the way. Paul, Paul, I forgot to mention yeah. this, but I'm pretty sure that your prior offer extends to us since we were here when you made the <laughs> offer of sending you the best. Too late, too right? late, man. I have to go on. I have to do. I have to do televangelism. Raise enough money for that one. <laughs> I just, I just want to thank. Uh, we call these guys uh, what? Uh, oops, let's call them. The three tenors here. Uh, <laughs> you clearly, don't, you clearly oh. don't need hair to be You can't have hair. <laughs> I was just going to ask which one would be Pavarotti, which one would be. Uh... Well, if I'm, I'm either so any of them, I pick the ones who are still alive. <laughs> that's a distinction. I got. I mean, that's truly the distinction. If you have good hair, you become CEO. If you have no hair, you become an advisor. <laughs> it's hard that. work, my brother. It's hard work. <laughs> oh well, I'm doomed. All right. So now this has been great, guys. We really appreciate you taking time to do this, and the, you know, just tell it like it is, and and you know, nobody yelled at anybody. You know. <laughs> no, we, we appreciate it. And of course, you guys are going to be back some form or fashion on the show, multiple shows, mm -hmm. definitely in the future. 
But we really appreciate you. And we know that the Lord. No, I'm oh, sorry. I was, <laughs> was going to say hallelujah, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> we just, we just I, scream I, AI really loud. <laughs> All right, guys. I, thanks again. We appreciate it. And on behalf of the evangelists, I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. We are the CRM players. And as usual, you know how we have to end this thing. And we're ending it now. <laughs>